You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, tech fans, and welcome into episode 125 of the Tech Sideline podcast, originating from TSL's High Tech Studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. We got a full show planned today, recapping the media sessions held by Justin Fuente and Whit Babcock last week, and the latest in football recruiting, including the commitments of Latrell Neville and Tyus Martin, and what might be ahead. It's all brought to you by the Fisher Law Firm, and it all starts right now. Like I said, it's episode 125 of the TSL podcast. I am not Evan Hughes. I'll tell you who I am here in a minute. Whether you're watching live on Facebook, archived on YouTube, or on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud, we're so glad you could join us today as we record on Monday, April 13th, 2020. Our crew today, we have general manager and founder Will Stewart. That's me. Uh, Managing editor Chris Coleman. That's him over there. And the best producer in the land, as we call him, Malcolm Stewart. Yes, he is related. And Malcolm is taking your questions on Facebook Live. So if you got questions or comments, drop them there. Uh, we've been a little short on questions, so I'm counting on you to step up for us. So we got a lot of talk, lot to talk about today. Uh, Justin Fuente and Whit Babcock held back-to-back Zoom sessions with the media last Tuesday. Does that sound right? Uh. Tuesday, Monday, Wednesday, Monday somewhere. or Tuesday. Yeah. It was early in the week, and and so I think Wit Wit met with eleven at eleven thirty with about twenty twenty five members of the media on Zoom, and and then uh, Fuente followed at noon, and they both went for about half hour. I thought yep. Fuente might go longer than that, but he wound up being a half hour too. Uh, so let's see. Uh, Fuente talked about what the team's doing now, how the coronavirus situation is affecting things, and of course Wit uh, addressed all sorts of questions, not just about football, but about the financial situation in the athletic department and where things are going in collegiate athletics at a whole as a whole. So um, when I first sat down to plan out this show, I did this intro, which I just read. I'm, I'm not Evan. Evan can do this stuff off the top of his head. He's really good. Um, <clears throat> and and I, got, I got a little bit into it and I was like, man, this is boring. I'm just, you know, I'm just ticking off topics here. So I thought what we do instead, Chris, is I've got the full transcript of uh, Wit and Fuente's uh, sessions with the media. And those were transcribed for us by uh, Jake Lyman and Corey Van Dyke. Really appreciate you guys doing that. And uh, so I, th- I just printed it out, five pages in small type, yeah. <laughs> highlighted some things, and I thought we could just uh, wing it and have at it. Have at sure. it. So, so let's start with Wit. Um, uh, the first thing I highlighted is he said that they have 575 student athletes in the athletic department and approximately 180 of them are in Blacksburg. All but a handful are in off-campus housing taking classes online, mm-hmm. which makes me wonder what the other handful are doing since I think the dorms have been shut down. But well, I- uh, shut down except for those 
who are like international students who did not go anywhere for spring break. Right. So, so think about like I was going through Virginia Tech's tennis roster, and at least half probably of Virginia Tech's tennis players are from overseas. Yeah. Anywhere from England to Australia. That yeah. makes up most of Virginia Tech's tennis teams. So they're here, I'm sure. Yeah. So they've got to have some place to stay. Yeah, I wonder how how they're getting them fed and all that. So, he said that uh, they they brought the uh, student athletes in, and I don't think they tested them per se, but they did put them in a fourteen day quarantine. Yeah. Um, so, the so the next thing he addressed was they they talked about how they've granted all spring athletes whose seasons were cut short. They've granted them all the option to be on scholarship next year. The NCAA has. The NCAA has yes. Right. So. The NCAA is leaving it up to the individual schools how to um, pay for that. And Witt Witt put a number on it. He said in the case of Virginia Tech, uh, the the additional scholarship bill, uh, if all of those seniors came back next year and had the aid that they're getting right now, Mm -hmm. that the additional scholarship bill would be $668,000. He added that the normal scholarship bill is about $16 million. And we know that from following the drive for 25 and, and Hokie Scholarship Fund and all that. So it's not a huge nut, but it's also not insignificant. Um, uh, it's not insignificant when you consider what just happened with the NCAA tournament not getting yeah. played. That's probably that's two to two and a half million that Virginia Tech won't be getting with the way, that, with the way payouts work. And then you talk, and then you look at this coming season and or academic year and say, even if that season gets played on time, they're not going to make as much revenue. Yeah. Not as not as many people are going to come. Uh, some people are going to like not buy season tickets at the end of the deadline because they're afraid there's not going to be a season. So they're not going to make as much revenue next year, is my opinion. So, yeah, and of course they've extended the season ticket mm-hmm. purchases and Hokie Scholarship Fund donations right. out to April 30th. So you've got an added expense coupled with a downturn in revenue. Yeah. Some schools we've already seen make decisions. Wisconsin has told their seniors – Thank you for your efforts over the years, but we can't have you back next year. Really? Wisconsin said that? Yeah, that was last week. Huh. So a, a Big Ten athletic department with Big Ten network money. Except they're, they're not going to have been – if there's no football season, they're not getting any Big Ten network money. Well, year, I just so. mean you would think yeah. – and, and so this is the interesting thing. You, you have the super rich conferences, which are, are the Big Ten and the SEC. And they've been bringing in all this money for all these years. And I get the impression that they don't have war chests built up. Uh, yeah. I, I, who knows about Wisconsin? I'm sure most of Wisconsin's uh, student athletes come from out of state. Yeah. Of course. Um, yeah. You know, you build so many facilities and stuff like that, it's hard to save money, right? Yeah. Uh, they, people see huge revenues and assume these schools are sitting on wads of money. That's not necessarily true because they spend so much money. Yeah. So yeah, Wisconsin did that last week. I don't. I don't. I forget. I think that was after Babcock's interview. Yeah. So basically, that was foretelling. Uh, you know, he 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 said in there some schools are not going to offer anything at all. Yeah. So let me jump into that. He said so. So what the schools are doing at one end of the spectrum, there's what Wisconsin did, where they said, "You're on your own if you want to come back and and play." That's basically what they're saying. If you want to come back and play. I think they said, I, I know they're not going to be on scholarship. Yeah, but I, I don't know if, 
I don't. I don't know any details other than that. Yeah, there are other schools that uh, have reserves built up, and they're like, if you want to come back, we'll pay for it. And then there's schools in the middle, and and Witt said we're kind of in the middle. So let's try to capture exactly what he said. He um, he wanted the fans to know that he's and 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 by the way, I, I thought Witt during his uh, um, uh, session was was very good. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's clear that. They have done a lot of talking about these things and a lot of planning. He talked about contingency. He said, we've sat down and we've talked about contingency plans for, uh, you know, what if things get started up at this time? What if things get started up at this time? And, and, and kind of laying out a lot of stuff that's going on. And, and he is not, I gather from his comments that he's not going to be specific about how they're going to pay for things like that. Um, is that what you took from it? Yeah. Um, he talked about basically how himself, Justin Fuente, Mike Young. He basically said we're all going to donate a big the chunk. The high earners. Yeah, yeah, the high earners are going to donate a big chunk to the Hokie Club, right? So they're not necessarily taking a pay cut. They're just taking what the money they get and putting it back into the Hokie Club. Yeah, I guess um, to help pay for those right. scholarships. Um, he said they're not going to release those numbers because there's always people who say – who will criticize no enough. matter what. Right, right. 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 Uh so and, and so let me I've been thinking about this, you know, I think Fuente makes about four million dollars a year. Right. Mm. In his tax bracket, you know, assuming he has no tax shelters or anything like that, that means he's going to take home about two point four million a year, two hundred thousand dollars a month. Mm-hmm. When your average person hears that. Yeah. Yeah. There's not really any amount of money with excuse me, uh, uh, Fuente can donate to the Hokie Club. That's going to satisfy everybody, Correct. because a lot of people would be thinking, you know, you should donate a hundred, one hundred fifty thousand a month of that to to, right. to the Hokie Club. That's ridiculous, right? You know, but th- these are the kind of thought processes that go on. Yeah, you're right. Um, it's it's going to be interesting. Uh, if there's no football season at all, then you know, Whit Babcock and Mike Young and Justin Justin Fuente can donate a hundred percent of their pay. It's not going to matter. Yeah, <laughs> they're yeah. still pretty much screwed, for lack of a better better phrasing yeah so um his 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 exact quote was we do have an internal plan for people in our department to put skin in the game to mm-hmm. help our cause right. that, that's how he phrased it um and and he you know we talked about the the schools being on opposite ends of the spectrum where they'll fund everything they'll fund nothing and in terms of, of the extra scholarship bill and he said we're in the middle and uh he also had an interesting turn of phrase he said we're trying to do what's right by the student athlete what's right budget wise and pr wise so he actually, actually went there PR. and admitted that uh, that the optics are important to him too yeah not no doubt um and, and they are because you know, one little phrase is poor Justin Fuente found out during a press conference yes. earlier this year. <laughs> one little phrase can, uh, can if it comes out wrong and somebody takes it the wrong way, and yeah. you're going to get hammered. I mean, these days articles will get written. I mean, that people like even ESPN writers will write an article without seeing actual quotes. I know it. I know it. You know? Yeah. Um, and people take it like gospel. Even if they go back and correct it later, it's too late. The damage is already done. Yeah. And everybody's moved on to something else. And they just remember that, that first thing that they read that crawled along the bottom line on ESPN. Yeah. yeah. So the one question I got to ask him was how, how did he feel about uh, playing basketball, excuse me, football. And I guess basketball, if you want to talk about that yeah. in an empty stadium or an empty Coliseum. Um, and 
you know, based on his answer and some comments I've read by other athletic directors around the country, that is not going to happen. Um, the idea of having the student athletes and everybody associated with a game put the game on without actually having fans in the in the stadium or the arena. Uh, I haven't read a single athletic director that wants to go there. Uh, well, I, I don't see how you can do it. Um, th- think about some of those classes at Virginia Tech where you've got anywhere from 100 to – how many people does McBride 100 seat? Uh, f- five or 600. I right, think. exactly. Yeah. Uh, no, it's not five or 600 at, at Virginia Tech football practice, but there's a – over a hundred players, plus all the coaches, trainers. I mean, you got one hundred fifty to two hundred people walk, you know, out there during a football practice. If you can't have school in person, you can't have football practice. I'm uh, sorry. Yeah. You, you, you talk about the money all you want. You just can't do it. So, uh, so people like me have come up with these schemes where you test everybody the morning of the game and that sort of stuff. And assuming you have those kind of capabilities, right? We don't even know if those capabilities will be there at that yeah. point. And and at that point, are you taking testing kits away from people who actually need them? <laughs> right. So you, you can get, put on a game. So you can put on a game. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that, that's that's not going to happen, in, in my opinion. I don't see any way that happens. Yeah. I I actually think. The crazy thing is I would feel – my dad brought this up to me in a conversation the other day, and he's right. I would actually feel safer at a football game than a basketball game. Football is outdoors. Basketball, that that coliseum is small and it's old, and trying to fight through those crowded uh, – um, gosh, what do you call them? Concourse? Concourses. Yeah. At the end of a game when everybody's leaving at the same time, it's in the winter – uh, you right. know, it gets hot in there. Yeah. Uh, I, I that feels like that more dangerous than a football game to Interesting. me. Interesting. Yeah. Um. It, it, it's the the bottom line is the ads just aren't going to go there, right. You yeah. Know? So so that's not something that's going to happen. Um. So so moving on, they asked him about you know on the season ticket purchase purchases by the fans and Hokie Club donations. Uh, you know, how's that going? And again, he didn't put a number on it. He said. Uh, um, let's see. He said, uh, what I've heard from other ACC schools and their ticket sales is like us, they've been pleasantly surprised that it's been as good as it is, but not as good as it normally would be. Right. So when I hear that quote, what I think is, yeah, that's kind of like TSL past subscriptions. Um, I've been, uh, you know, we haven't had any, uh, sports now for, it's been about a month. Wow, it's hard to believe it's been about a month. It feels longer. <laughs> um, and most of our subscribers have been, like 95% of them, have been maintaining their TSL Pass subscriptions, which is not as good at nor- as it normally would be, but it's actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of uh, a lot of questions to be answered by a lot of fans in you know soon because people have to donate and buy season tickets by the end of the month. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, most people. So don't. where are you? Have you done it? No. no. Remember, I was. I'm always a last minute guy. Yeah. So I haven't done it. Well, I've I've donated. I'm on a monthly donation plan. Right. So, it's and actually from that standpoint, it benefits me. It means I get like an extra month of donations going in by the time. Ah, the, right, the tickets right. get ordered. Right? Well, so does everybody else. So, oh, well, oh, only, only if they donate monthly. Correct. Right. Yeah. Um, and I wonder what percentage that is. So, in case you're ever wondering out there, there's something like. 
uh, something like 80% of TSL Pass subscribers are annuals, mm-hmm. and the other 20% go monthly. That's, um, yeah, it's, it's, I bet it's higher for annual for Hokie Club. Cause for, for, oh, yeah, because for years and years and years, you actually had this cinnamon voided check. Right. Right, which is what I did. I actually went over there to their office and handed them a, a voided check. It wasn't until like a couple of years ago you could actually join online month that, by month. That's cute. All right, so... Uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, I'm, I'm in a group that buys season tickets together. We, we piggyback on the highest donors in the group. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember where we left the conversation, but the last time we had a conversation, it was prior to all of this coming down. Um, so I'll have to go find that email chain. Um, I also put in a, a regular monthly donation myself. Yeah. And I'm not even thinking about that. That's still going on. Yeah. So. Um, I don't know. We'll see, we'll see where, where that comes out with my buddies. So I think I need to hit them up in the next couple of weeks and find out where we are on that. So the other thing that, and we kind of touched on this, the other thing that's been a popular topic is the high earners taking pay cuts. Mm-hmm. And uh, Fuente was later asked about that, and it was one of the shorter answers he gave. It was one of the shorter answers he gave because if you go back to Witt's statement. Witt, Witt gave a very long answer. Witt gave a very long statement, and he at the end of it he said, Look, we're not going to talk about what we do. We're not going to be public about it. So they've already had the conversation, and Witt has basically told Fuente and I assume Mike Young to to just be as vague as possible. Don't say anything. Yeah, that's a good point. So yeah. let me read you the exact quote. Um, I don't believe that we will be incredibly public with that. Mm-hmm. I think when you do that, there's going to be someone that says it's not enough, right. like we talked about. I don't think you're going to see us up there beating our chest about what they've done, being you know him and the hires. But make no mistake about it, that will be done and done accordingly. Right. So it's being done or has been done or will be done. And Witt's already had the conversation with his coaches and said, look, don't talk about it. And and Witt also said, we will, of course, follow the university lead on that, um, which I thought was interesting. And he didn't expand upon that. Yeah. Was he talking about furloughs there? Uh, As for pay cuts across the board, pay cuts or furloughs, we will, of course, follow the university lead on that. So you're right. Um, There are also other ways to take a pay cut or lower expenses other than simply base salary and health benefits. So bonuses. I I wrote about this in the Q&A. Back in the day when, like, Frank Beamer made 150 grand a year as head football coach, you know, getting an extra 10 or 20 grand is is a bonus for going to a bowl game. That you know that that made sense, and right? going to a bowl game was an accomplishment. It was an accomplishment in 1993. And, and, and I remember this in 1993. There were 19 bowl games. Right. There are now 42 or something. And, and you like remember that. that that Sugar Bowl? Mem- uh, remember the Big East did not split the bowl revenue up evenly. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. So when Virginia Tech went to the Sugar Bowl against Texas, Tech got all seven million dollars. Well, no, the way it worked was um, you were you were what eight years old in, 19, in 1995. I was 12. 12. Okay, uh, that's almost 13. I was I, I was actually reading the Huddler about that stuff, and and I don't remember the exact formula, but the Sugar Bowl payout was something like seven million, mm-hmm. and and the Big East even back then the Big East was like the only conference that had unequal revenue sharing. Right. Eye roll. Um, 
And so let's say this Sugar Bowl payout was roughly seven or eight million. The team that actually went got the lion's share of right, that. Okay, and and okay. what I remember is a seven million dollar payout and four point two million went to Virginia Tech okay. for going. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And that was a whole rich get richer situation yeah. where teams like Temple and Rutgers they weren't what even they going to do? bowls. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that's back and don't kid yourself, that's back in four million dollars was a lot of That was probably uh, one fifth of your I, I think I think back in the day budgets were Virginia Tech's budget was between sixteen and twenty million, so four million dollars was a huge amount a, of money. Right. So think of twenty five million today. Let's just say Tech got a twenty five million dollar gift, nice. one time thing these yeah. days. Yeah, that, and, that's and what that and would Tech been went like. to the Sugar Bowl in ninety five and the Orange Bowl in ninety six. Right. So that's back to back years of doing that. Yeah. And then the and then the Sugar Bowl national title game again a few years after that. Yeah. So yeah, the, they had a lot of money coming in. No wonder they had the third highest paid coaching staff in the country at the turn of the century. They made a lot of money there. Well, that's a good a point. Years. You know, but 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 what led to that to that discussion? Oh, bonuses. I yes. was talking about bowl bonuses. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. I mean, that was a big deal. So if Frank Beamer got a $10,000 bonus for going to a bowl game. Okay, well earned, because that meant a lot to Virginia Tech back then. Yeah. These days, you know, Fuente's bonus for, like, going to a Tier, tier 2 bowl is $50,000, right? Justin, I can guarantee you Justin Fuente is not coaching any harder that that fifty thousand dollars is not an incentive to coach extra hard. I guarantee you, he's coaching his tail off fifty thousand dollars or no fifty thousand dollars. So right? what did we just say? So he's making about three hundred thirty thousand dollars a month, and so the fifty thousand dollars is like one sixth or one seventh of his pay. I if, so, if somebody were to give me a bonus in a month that was one sixth or one seventh of my pay, it'd be nice, but it's not going to change my life. It's it's not going to change your life at all. Yeah. Neither is getting a free car. You talked well, about that too. Since, and, that, and those have been in coaching contracts since as long as I can remember. Yeah. yeah. And back again, back in the days when coaches made a hundred grand, one hundred fifty grand. Okay, that's a nice big incentive. Yep. Now, coaches can afford their own cars if they if they really need it. You know, if they really have to. So yeah, there's a lot you can of stuff finance that can those go things on. over eight years. Right. Now. Right. Now, this, now this is just in a way, in some ways, these contracts are archaic. Yes. Because they. It's tradition. It's tradition. That, and maybe that's how the, maybe it's this will change things. Maybe it will change things. Bill Dooley was getting a car from wherever back in the 1980s, right? So if you so, go look, if you go look at those those old football programs, typically on the back page, there's a picture of each of the football coaches, the head coach and the assistants, with the car that they got from a local dealer. So it's an ad for the dealer. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I mean that stuff. Just goes back a long, long, long time, and for whatever reason, the tradition is continued through today. When I see no reason for it to, it's just more paperwork for people. You know, if I was a football coach, you know, it's just okay. Just give me my four million dollars. So, 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 so <laughs> I mean, yeah. So you're Justin Fuente, and you're making four million dollars a year, and you're getting courted by Baylor, and they're offering six or seven million dollars a year. And a new Cadillac. <laughs> right. right. I mean, come on. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a, that's a real – do I get a hat with that? Do yeah. I get a cowboy hat? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So then something that also came out during uh, Witt's session, which was was interesting, and, and I agree with this. I think this is the way to go, is that um, to some extent they are phasing out the lunch pail. Um, Witt didn't exactly – phrase it this way the lunch pail will continue to be a symbol that is used 
in some ways. And, and the specific example he gave was uh, they've got a banner for Bud Foster. They they retired Bud whatever, and and they have a banner in the end zone for him, and, and it's got a picture of the lunch pail on it. So he brought that up. You know, that'll be there, and it'll always be part of our tradition and our history. But he basically said – we're not going to carry a lunch pail around anymore on the sidelines and fill it with turf and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so go ahead and expand some more on that because you listen to everything he said and tell me what you think. Well, about that. yeah, your average fan's probably not going to notice it. In all honesty, yeah. Um, now, w- what they'll have to do is each week they will have to tell television announcers, "Look, stop calling it the lunch pail defense, please." Um, and they'll pay attention to that like they pay attention to stop calling no, us Vatek. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. And now, quite frankly, I'll be honest with you. I agree with the decision. Um, and I think Witt talked about this. He said he consulted with Justin Fuente, who consulted with Justin Hamilton. Yeah, so Witt didn't talk directly to Hamilton. Right. And I'm, I'm sure Justin Fuente and Justin Hamilton, the two Justins, they probably had a really good conversation on taking over for legend. Yeah. what it's like and i'm sure justin fuente has a different perspective on that than 99.9 percent of everybody in the entire country yeah. uh i th- think virginia tech could, if they had a top 10 defense this year and it was dominant the one game they got torched all you'd be hearing is well the lunch pail defense isn't so lunch pail anymore without bud foster and justin hamilton would have to deal with that yeah, and I'm sure if Wentz uh, told him that's coming. Right, right. So to me, it's better to just cut it. Let yeah. that be Bud Foster's thing. Uh, don't force Justin Hamilton to go through that. Um, I think taking over for a legend is is tough. Um, I think it might be tougher on Hamilton than it was uh, Fuente. Like, I think there's. I think it's very, very possible that Bud Foster is the best defensive coordinator of all time. In the history of college football. In the football. history of college football, yeah. he might be. And that's who Justin Hamilton is replacing. Now, now Frank was a Hall of Fame coach. Frank was a Hall of Famer, but I don't think anybody's going to make the argument that he's the greatest football coach of all time. Right, right. Right, so. And and another subtlety to it is that there is a portion of the fan base that thinks, thinks that a lot of Frank's success was attributable to correct. Bud Foster's defense. We sold T-shirts on TSL one time, Bud Foster's T-shirts and Frank Beamer T-shirts. And what were the sales like? The Buds of the Bud shirts were like sold like 20 times more than the Beamer shirts? Oh, a lot more, yeah. yeah. I, I remember the Bud shirts said, and Bud we trust, I don't remember what the uh, Frank shirts said, but... Um, it's funny. Everybody loves both of them, mm-hmm. but but when you Bud to, sells a little better than Frank, I think. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I, I think I'm sure they had a good, really good conversation, and I'm sure Justin Fuente was able to add a lot of things that you and I or anybody else wouldn't even be able to think about. Yeah. But I, I'm completely okay with it because I, I just think what would happen the first time the defense gets gets torched and people will be like, oh, but Foster wouldn't have let that happen. You know, the lunch pail defense, that wouldn't happen to the lunch pail defense. Well, you got to cut ties with that name, in yeah. my opinion. I mean, it's a different era now. You know, and Witt did say that, uh, um, let me see how he phrased it, um, Foster owns all of the trademarks, and he's always generous, as he always is. Um, yeah. You yeah. know, but Bud's got his uh, lunch pail defense foundation. Um, you know, he owns the trademarks, and, 
you know, I, I don't want to make a legal argument like he was going to try to collect royalties or something <laughs> like that if Tech kept carrying a lunch pail around. He's but, not. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's uh, I think on Witt's part and, you know, I think we've talked it to death. I just I agree with you. I think it's a good idea to, to move on from that sort of stuff. Mm hmm. Now, let's talk about, I, th I think the last thing that uh, Witt really talked about in detail was, um, you know, everybody's talking about football and whether or not football is going to happen. He said, we got one sport that turns a profit, football. We've got another sport that breaks even, men's basketball, which is different in the in the Jim Weaver days. Men's basketball turned a pretty big profit. <laughs> Let, let's not go down that path because that could be a 10-minute discussion. Um, and he said, and then we've got 20 sports that lose money. And so the one that makes money funds the other other 20. And so it's very important that football happens. So the discussion of a shortened season that starts on time or a little late or a season that starts in the spring. And, and Witt, like every athletic director with a brain, is like, hey, listen, if you want to start football season in the middle of February or early March, even if it overlaps with other sports, I'm good with that. Yeah. And as a fan, can you imagine college football and March Madness going on at the same time? As a fan, that would be awesome. As For a me, journalist, it would be terrible. It would be awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so, no, gosh, I hope that doesn't happen. We're going to have to um, up our student writer budget, I think, if, I, if that happens. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I hope it doesn't happen. I think it's probably. <laughs> I think this is the first time it's occurred to Chris to even think about. Oh no, I thought about it the other day, <laughs> Did and, you and I just, and then I just blocked out the whole thing for like a whole day. Like I don't, I'm like I don't even want to deal with it. I don't yeah. even want to think about that right now. But yeah, it'll probably happen. It'll so probably so happen. it leads to these thoughts of, uh, um, I, I just I I don't. I'm more and more in the camp that football is definitely not happening this fall. Yeah, me too. I've been in that camp for about two to three weeks now i think i don't think it's going to happen um if it does happen you're going to see a lot of people stay away yeah. i mean how many people in that stadium are six or 60 or 65 or older yeah that have an underlying medical condition it's not going to be a vaccine but by this fall i'll go in that stadium and be fine but not everybody not everybody would and they would have to uh they, they would have to uh Oh my gosh, I was, I forgot where I was. At. Well, so you, people you, would have to make decisions. You would have Do to limit go? the number of people that could attend. Well, I would. I think you have to straight up tell people, like, look, if you're above a certain age and you've got any kind of medical conditions, don't come. <laughs> or you know, or, or maybe those maybe those people take make that decision for themselves. I don't know. You would have to ask someone in, in that camp. Um, but it, yeah, it's. I, I think whenever it happens, whether it's this fall or this spring or next year, it's going to look a lot different as far yeah. as the actual attendance at games, in my opinion, yeah. um, because of what I just talked about. But other people are going to be like, you know what? I had a year without going to football games, and guess what? I survived. I'm just not going to do it anymore. And, and so a couple of thoughts come to mind while you're talking. Number one, uh, this is going. it's going to change the world, and it's going to change the business of Tech Sideline because they're going to be a – People who go a year without coming to our message boards or having a subscription, and, and they're going to decide they can live without it. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I was thinking was, and you and I talked about this in the office the other day, the question is, who's in charge? Typically, the question is, follow the money. But the question here is, who's in charge? Mm -hmm. And the NCAA is not in charge of this. No. The individual schools are not in charge the of this. The money is not in charge of this. 
money drives college football except for in situations like the this. politicians yes. are in charge of this if governor northam says if, if he, i think it there virginia is basically on a lockdown or whatever you want to call it till june 10th what if he extends that through the end of december i'm not saying that's going to happen don't at me bro mm-hmm. but what if he extends it through the end of december it doesn't matter what the ncaa the acc and virginia tech want to do Football's not happening. What if some borders are open and others aren't? All right. The University of Miami school president is the former director of health for Mexico, like the country Mexico. They're this going- guy's got a much different perspective on this than any any of us, right? So what if he's like, ah, man, you know what? I, I think we're probably okay down here, but they've had a recent – the numbers in Virginia don't look good right now, so I don't think I'll let my team go to Blacksburg this week and then fly back. Guys like uh, that will uh, be the last domino to fall. Right, there. right, right. Yeah. You know, all it takes is one or two to say we're not playing, and then it yep. all falls down. Yeah. But like the ACC tournament was happening in basketball, right? Everybody else was stopping the tournament except their tournament, except the ACC. We're playing on. They sent out an email. They put the graphic up there. We're playing. And then Duke says, no, we're not. <laughs> that was the end of that. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, Duke. We're, we're, if whatever you say. So, yeah. I mean, Duke's so he, not going to play. Duke, I can tell you right now, Duke's not going to play football this fall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they just haven't told anybody yet. Yeah. They've canceled their Hall of Fame banquet for October already. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about 100 people or so. That there's what you call a leading indicator. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so that uh, kind of wraps up the wit discussion. So let's take a uh, Malcolm. You ready to take a little uh, Fisher Law Firm break? If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Here at Fisher Law Firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at FisherLegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, Class of 98. Let's go Hokies. All right, so thanks again to Jonathan Fisher of the Fisher Law Firm. Jonathan and I had an interesting conversation over the weekend that we're not really ready to act on yet. So those of you who uh, um, know that he's a sponsor of the site and maybe even listen to the podcast that he was on, you know that he is a a DUI and traffic defense lawyer. Um, so he, for him to practice the vast majority of the law he practices, he has to actually be in court. And courts these days are pretty much shut down, except for, I believe, what he said, the constitutional type law, and yeah. bail hearings and things like that. So we haven't gotten a chance to talk about it in detail, but his business has been greatly affected. I'm sure. And then not as many people are getting tickets because not as many people are driving. Right. And, right. and, and I would even, I have not personally experienced this, but I would even venture to guess that the police are more lenient right now at this moment in time than they ordinarily would be. I had to get my registration updated, right? And I ordered it like two and a half, three weeks ago, and I still haven't gotten it in the mail. Stickers for my license plate. But I went online and read uh, the state of Virginia has extended it for like two months anyway, so I'm not yeah. going to get in trouble. Um, and of course, you can do the registrations by email, but uh, um, excuse me, by uh 
by the internet, but uh, what are you what are you going to do if you have to get your car inspected or get it worked on? You know, some people just aren't doing that sort of stuff. So Jonathan, he he pitched an idea to me over the weekend. Just the thought of it, we didn't get into the details of it. He wants to uh, do, uh, I believe, what he calls a state planning law for the time being, because that's something that could be done at a distance. And he, uh, and again, we haven't fleshed this idea out. He said, I want to do a promo where if you do your estate planning through me, I will pay for a one-year TSL subscription for you. So we'll see if that comes to fruition or if that idea changes in some way. Uh, I just, I just think it's interesting that they're everybody out there is being affected by this. No doubt. So, uh, so let's move on to Fuente's, uh, session with the media, Justin Fuente's session with the media. Um, I don't think there's a lot that came out of it that isn't obvious. And and what I mean by that is he had a quarterback competition in the spring he was going to have. He was going to have a running back competition mm. because all of the, like Marco Lee, uh, Khalil Herbert, and Rasheed Bla- and Blackshear. Now, we don't know, we don't know if Blackshear is going to have eligibility or not, but the other two guys are. They were all here in January, and they were all ready to compete in the spring, and that didn't happen. Right. That kind of discussion is obvious. Um, something that's, that's a little more subtle is the, the first thing he thought about, he said the first thing he thought about was his defense. He's got um new defensive coordinator, two new defensive line coaches, Linebackers coach is new. Corners coach is yeah. new. Every, well, basically everybody's everybody new. Everybody but Hamilton, right? Everybody but Hamilton. Yeah. yeah. And who's in a new role? And he said, uh, and and it's kind of obvious to think about scheme. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to implement a new scheme, you got to put it in in the spring. And but the the other thing he said that's not so obvious is, um, you hired a bunch of new coaches in December, January. And they haven't gotten to work with the players yet. Yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, one of the big deals about uh, about Bill Tierlink, and um, correct me if I'm wrong, is that he has techniques and and really schemes that that are unique to bring pressure on a quarterback. Yeah, yeah, uh, he can. He really schemes up offenses and creates a lot of pressures and sacks just through his scheming. That's the reputation he had in the NFL. How much of that you can put on college players? I don't know. Um, from a mental standpoint, I, I really don't know. But yes, that's uh, that's Tierleek's thing. So ideally, yes, you have spring practice to install quite a bit of that stuff. And mm-hmm. now Virginia Tech will not. Um, and and Daryl Tapp played the position in the NFL, and you know he's replacing he and Tierleek are replacing Charlie Wiles, who, you know, um, we have no idea what Tierleek and Tapp are bringing to the to the table that's that's new and different and above what charlie was doing and and they get to they get to do none of it hands-on you know you can do these virtual meetings and show the show the players film and stuff like that but it's the 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 development of players has just stopped the the pure football coaches too they enjoy spring practice more than the season yeah. Um, yeah, they love it because you're developing players. Well, yeah, you actually just develop players and coach. I mean, Charlie Wiles, before he landed the NC State job, you know, he told somebody I know, he basically said, you know, the thing I'm going to miss most is no spring practice. It's like, it's like I love spring practice. I love working with the players. When you get to the season, you know, you're going 200 miles an hour. You're trying to implement the game plan for the yeah. next game, review film for the previous game. Spring is just all about player development, and that's what pure football coaches like. Bill Terlink, you know, he's been an NFL coach, so he's not a recruiter, right? He's a pure football coach. Tracy Clay's pure football coach. 
You know, these guys, killing these guys, man. The guys who really love football. Like, some coaches are really good recruiters. There may be recruiters more so than football coaches. Yeah. Um, and those guys are still getting to work. Those guys are still getting to work. But, like, uh, you know, if I, if I was Tracy Clays right now, if I, or if I were Fuente, I'd just have Tracy Clays, like, breaking down film on every tech opponent for yeah. this coming year. Yep. That's where he's best used. Especially the ones, and you wrote this in your article, especially the ones that you know you're going to play right. in a shortened season. Right. A shortened right. season could be conference only. It could be conference only. Like, I don't know how much attention I'd, I I would prioritize UNC. I would prioritize UNC over Penn State anyway because they're in conference. But I would definitely do it right now because I, unless this season starts on time, I don't think Virginia Tech's going to be playing Penn State this year. I know, and I've been married to a Penn State graduate for <laughs> 23 years. We have been waiting and waiting and waiting for this, mm-hmm. and it was never going to happen while, right. while Joe Paterno was Correct. was coach slash alive slash influential. Mm-hmm. We had been waiting forever for this, and now it's gone. And and it looks like it's out the window unless they decide to just magically push push all schedules, all schedules forward, back a year, a year, and then it'll happen the next year. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah. So uh, so let's. Uh, we're going to talk about recruiting later, and let's segue into that a little bit right now. And and Fuente talked about that some, and he said uh, somebody asked him about recruiting kids who've never visited campus, and you know he he he, he stated the obvious that 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 is that's actually a lot easier to do than it used to be. You can send them video of what the facilities look like. You can give them a really good idea. The world is much smaller. Yeah. Um. The, these days, you know, I, I remember. I remember the first time I ever went to Virginia Tech, like, set foot on campus. It was like the late 80s. My parents brought me up. Um, I remember seeing the baseball field for the first time, which is English field was new back then. Like, I barely remember it, but I remember the feeling. The impression. The impression it made. I couldn't get online and look at pictures of it and stuff yeah. like that, obviously. There was no internet. You actually had to go somewhere to see something. But the world's much, much smaller these days. Than it used to be. You can get a good feel for something before you ever set foot. Oh, there. you can go to IvanMorozov.com and just go through his photography right. of the campus, including he's got a ton of aerial shots on his website. Right. Right. And oh, by the way, everything on his website is for sale. Order yourself some awesome prints. Right. And uh, yeah, you should. Uh, now, you know, there are some places, you know, pictures can lie. You know, everything can be painted up by a good marketing team right you you're not going to see pictures of how gray virginia tech really is the, during, during the right, right 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 there there are certain buildings on campus i would take pictures of but there's a few over there near the commuter lot that i would not take pictures <laughs> of and right. put them on a postcard the, the right? ones built in the 70s right, right, right 60s exactly and 70s. yeah um so there's like three of them back there with no hokey stone at all i'm like what are you thinking you're the yeah. only buildings on campus with no hoking stone uh, who, it, was who a, did, it was a dark time in campus <laughs> who, architecture who decided this <laughs> but uh so so there, there's drugs some, are bad okay so that there's certain things you need to to go somewhere to see like like i'd seen pictures of notre dame but i i really needed to see it personally yeah. but at the same time I could get a, still get a pretty darn good feel for what it looked like, at least, and, and, and everything. But but at the same time, these guys committing right now, the defensive tackle commitment Virginia Tech got. Tyus Martin. Tyus Martin. Never visited. All he's done is... Latrell Neville. 
Mm-hmm. Hasn't been here since after his freshman year. After his freshman in year. In high school, two well, years ago. At least he's been. Right. But, right. Uh, but the fact that the, like, we don't know when recruiting is going to open back up. Yeah. I think a lot of people thought, oh, it'll reopen this summer. It's, I don't, it's, it's not going to. If there's not going to be a football season on time, there's not going to be any recruiting. Sorry. Um, so I, I don't know what they're going to do with signing day. I mean, are, are some of these guys going to be visit, going to be signing in December, having never visited any, a lot of the places that they're signing with? Picture recruiting as a pipeline, right. and suddenly that pipeline has been shut off right. at the exiting end. Right. But the the players and the athletes are still coming along and aging, and and they're cramming into the front end of that right. pipeline. And I'm 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 not smart enough to really think about the ramifications. Like all all these uh, rising high school senior football players probably won't get to play a football season as seniors. They're, they're not most likely. And, oh, no, watch. There will be certain states that do it and certain states that don't. Texas. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, at least all our all our players are coming from Texas these days. So our, our guys are going to be more experienced than anybody, everybody else's signing. So Fuente <laughs> said, we've been developing relationships for years, and we've been reaping the benefits of that. In other words, they can continue to get commitments uh, even, even though – things are shut down and that gets back to the fact that Latrell Neville was up here two years ago after it from Texas Mm -hmm. after his freshman year in high school and and what else did he say about that I thought this was really interesting one of the reporters asked him about the uh, TX to VT movement the Mm -hmm. number of Texas kids that are being recruited and are committing and he said I'm going to read it verbatim one of the mistakes I made when I got here was saying that we're not going to go down there We're going to stay in the traditional part where Virginia Tech has always recruited. In just this short time, things have changed so much in terms of your ability to reach out. Our mission is to do a great job in this reason, but we have so many connections in this region, but we have so many connections down in that part of the country. I think I underestimated the power of those connections. I wish I had done it when we first started. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really rare for a person in that position to just flat say we screwed that up uh we've talked about this before i don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast but we've heard that fuente was surprised that recruiting wasn't easier at virginia tech when he got here yeah obviously he came from a place like memphis where the program wasn't on probation but it might as well have been on probation i think they had something like 50 scholarship players yeah. when he showed up yeah like six scholarship offensive linemen so that was a mess really difficult place I think when you spend most of your time in the Midwest and the West Coast, you have the ESPN view of Virginia Tech, or at least so your perception of Virginia Tech is all those college game days, all those years, the hype machine built around the 2005 Miami game. So you're all the way in a different part of the country. You don't know exactly what it's like. Yeah. So I think there were. I think he uh, he thought it was going to be easier to recruit in this region than it has been. When in reality, a lot of the things that Virginia Tech had an advantage with during its heyday, those things were gone. Like like no recruits in Roanoke, Danville, Lynchburg. Southwest Virginia. Not as many in Southwest Virginia. Yeah. 757's overrated in my opinion. Go ahead and quote me on that. That's fine. Uh, and Fuente and staff, they 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 have to take some responsibility for this. They made some mistakes. But, right, think, right, right. You know? But right, they didn't realize any of that stuff. Yeah. Um. So I don't know that I realized it at the time either. Yeah. 
It's only since then that I've realized it. So I'm not and, really criticizing them for it. It's yeah. just uh, I wouldn't expect somebody coming in from a different part of the country to realize all that. Just like I wouldn't, if I moved to Texas or Oklahoma, there'd be a lot of stuff that would take me years to learn. And, and then he focused on the state of North Carolina, had <laughs> right. a lot of success there for a year or two. And mm-hmm. man, if y'all, if y'all have been <laughs> to our recruiting board, you need to go, our, go to our recruiting board. I, I put a post up about how, uh, Mac Brown and UNC have that state on lockdown. I'm not surprised. Yeah. Um, unless you grew up in North Carolina or maybe like in Southside Virginia, like there, I knew there were more UNC fans than Virginia Tech fans from where I was from yeah. in Danville because of their basketball team. Yeah, um, it, it was close. Yeah, yeah. So the the draw of that school's basketball team, they can recruit great. They have a higher ceiling than Virginia Tech in football recruiting. Also, a lower floor, I, I think. But, yeah. but but the national appeal of their basketball program, if they have their right guy at the top of their football program, that national name means they can recruit really, really well if he hires the right staff members. And and Max, Max is a CEO recruiter. He doesn't do a lick of coaching. I mean, I sat in the front row behind that game this past year. He had a headset on because you, you're supposed to, right? Because <laughs> I mean, you might as well use it. You're allowed to. <laughs> so you just sit there and he – Collapse it as guys when they run an off field. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. You know? So, I, I, what I mean, and I'm not criticizing. Well, he's firmly in the Jimmy's and Joe's camp. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm not criticizing. But, like, you know how, like, Nick Saban in Alabama, like, Nick Saban was a really, really good coach, and Alabama was a really, really good program. And Alabama was not impervious to bad seasons before right. Nick Saban got there. Nick Saban was not impervious to bad seasons before he went to Alabama. And before he applied that model of staffing up. and You combine those two things together, though, man. And yeah, you got lightning in a bottle. You got lightning in a bottle. That's kind of like what UNC is with Mac Brown, yeah. I think. Yeah. I don't think they're all that dangerous if, if, if Mac Brown's not there. Yes, they, they can get you in certain years. Yeah, They'll you know, always be a struggle. They don't have top 10 potential unless Mac Brown's there. You know, helicopter Larry Fedora recruited well there for a while, and then he didn't. Right. You know, and it was towards the end of his tenure mm-hmm. that, that Tech was able to go in and get some good recruits out of North Carolina. Um, so, Malcolm, how many minutes in are we now? 50. All right, so let's segue into, uh, since we've already started talking about recruiting in a general sense, let's talk about the two guys that committed last week. Uh, first one is a four-star wide receiver, Latrell Neville. Mm-hmm out of Missouri City, Texas, which is right outside Houston. You know, shocker. He, <laughs> shock, huh? He's in Demetrius Davis's area there. And and he talked about um, that, that, that guy's been a tech guy for a while, Neville has. Um, and he was planning on committing at the spring game. And uh, I think he just, you know, clearly spring game's not going to happen. And he said, I'm just, I'm going to do it and I'm going to go ahead and jump in. And um he, in his interview with Jason Stame that he did for Tech Sideline, he talked about Demetrius Davis, and uh, he called him a human highlight film, <laughs> and he wants to play with him. Mm-hmm. And so uh, um, what what else can you add to that? Tell me what you think. What do you see when you watch the film? This guy's 6'3", 195. He's, a, he's kind of an unknown. Like, he didn't catch that many passes last 26 year. 26 or something yeah, like that? Yeah, some small number. But I, I think when I look at his huddle profile – it has him playing for a high school, and then his 247 profile says a different high school. So maybe he's transferred since last year. I I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, or, or, no, I think the stats I saw for him were like his sophomore year stats. 
And this past I, year I don't would have been his he, junior. Is he the one that doesn't have a junior film? One one of the recent yeah, yeah. guys. So yeah. there were those get yeah, like he had no junior year stats listed on Max Preps. And then his stats were from his sophomore year at another high school. Mm-hmm. So there's like what where's where's junior year film? Where's junior year stats? I think I remember reading that he caught 26 passes his junior year. He got double teamed a lot. Uh, See, I thought the 26 catches were from his sophomore. Could be. That's what yeah. I thought I saw on Max Preps. Okay. Um, but at any rate, yeah, when you don't have that many catches and, and or that many minutes on your highlight film, it's really hard to evaluate, honestly. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, look at his offer list. Sounds like a good prospect. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, looks like a good athlete. Kind of reminds me of Trey Turner to a certain extent from an athletic standpoint. Prolific at the jet sweep. I yes. know Tech fans will be thrilled to hear that. Yes. Um, he said something like, you know, you know, when the ball gets in my hands, you just know it's going to be six, um, which I like the confidence. Um, I, I thought it was important that um, – I know Demetrius Davis has been working really hard mm-hmm. recruiting for Tech on Twitter and off Twitter. Yeah. He, he, Neville said that he and Davis talk a lot. Mm-hmm. I think he may have said every day. Um, I just thought it was important that Tech, with, with Davis on board, and he's been on board for a long time, I thought it was important that Tech start getting some momentum mm-hmm. to let Davis know that his efforts are bearing fruit, that other right. people are coming with him, and in particular a Texas guy. So what Agreed. are we up to, four Texas guys now? Davis, Alec Bryant, Robert Wooten, and uh, Latrell Neville. Latrell Neville. And I don't want to leave out anybody. I think that's four. Probably who you're thinking about is Landon Watson. Right. When is Landon Watson going to pop? He seems like a done deal, doesn't he? Everything he says, everything he tweets. Yeah. Uh, he's got the exact major. If you, I went back the other day and read Jason Stame's interview with him after his visit to Tech, and he was basically like, man – Nobody did for me on a visit what Virginia Tech did. Nice. The way they, they set him up with our own Evan Hughes. Evan Hughes and Bill yeah, Roth yeah, coming through. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so the SEC got their bag men. We got Evan Hughes. Like <laughs> <laughs> who, I, who I assure you has no money. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but, yeah, I I think there's a plan there. You know, Neville was, was going to commit at the spring game. Watson was going to visit in June. The same weekend as Demetrius Davis. Davis. They were going to take their visits the same weekend. And several other guys were going to take their visits that weekend, too. So I think that was going to be the weekend. Um, But that's not going to happen now. Um, He's not going to get to take any official visits. He's going to have to commit. Um, And and, and so coincident with his commitment was a bunch of crystal balls going in for – uh, from from national analysts, right? Like, for for um, Landon Watson, Landon and Watson, I think guys. maybe Naquan Brown, Naquan Brown, maybe uh, T.J. Quinn, right? Uh, maybe one or two other guys. I for, I, for, uh, I forget. I I think there's probably a plan with the coaching staff. Um, you talk about coaches who are either, they're either co- pure coaches or pure recruiters. There's not a lot in between, and you try to fix your staff is like a puzzle as Fuente calls it. You got to get the right pieces together. Fuente himself is a pure football coach, right? Guess what? He can't do any coaching right now. He can think about it all he wants, but he's got nothing to do. He can, All he can do is sit around and zoom recruits, right? <laughs> Apparently he's pretty good at it. Um, um, yeah. I thought he was good on he, zoom with, with John laser. With with yeah, yeah. Yeah. I thought he was good too. Um, He's getting active on Twitter, which means you put somebody 
You, you give somebody enough can, time with can nothing I, Can to I do. say something? Yeah. His account is getting active on Twitter. We, we, we think it's him. I'm pretty sure it's him. Yeah. Um, th- th- there are things on there that, that only he would say. That only he would okay. say. I think. All right. Um, I like to tease. Don't, don't don't get all up on me. I'm just teasing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, whether it's him or not, I mean, I'm sure it is. But I, I think when you have enough, a lot of time where you have nothing to do, some people get in trouble. Some people, if they're deep thinking people, probably have a lot of self reflection. And, I I tend to overthink things and screw things up. Right, sure, and some people do that. I think he sat back and and went all in on recruiting, and we're seeing the benefits of it. And I think we'll continue to see the benefits of it. I think there's probably some time for some personal refle- reflection since he doesn't have any spring practice tape to evaluate. Yeah. Uh, so he said, you know what? I'm gonna uh, I need to get more active with the fan base. So I'm gonna get on Twitter and do that. So. I think in the way that the time off, I think the time off will benefit smart coaches, like really deep thinking coaches, as long as they don't overthink it. And so far, he seems to have adapted to the time off very well. Yeah. And, and you know, the whole uh, – I found myself being more active following recruiting on Twitter. Uh, following actual recruits is, is a little dicey because <laughs> um, – you can wind up with a flood of crap in your feed. Yes, um, I know. You know? Ba- yeah, stuff. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Wh- why? Who's this again? And you remember that some recruit <laughs> well, you followed. Why am I following that guy? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, the the best follows right now are Demetrius Davis um, um, amongst recruits. Uh, Robert Wooten's very active. Um, Alec Bryant isn't very active. Uh, but uh, So I would recommend following those guys. I would recommend following guys like, you know, and, and let, me, let me gather my thoughts here and figure out what it is I'm trying to say. Uh, this is, is, a, is, a, is an area in which fans can positively influence recruiting. Um, I don't know the exact NCAA rules, but when I look at Twitter, I see fans interacting with recruits. The tap's wide open. The, the, the NCAA has just pushed Twitter I can't police here. that. I give you it up. You can't police it. Yeah. So why why even try? Now, coaches are not allowed to tag or address players directly on Twitter, I believe. They're allowed to retweet. You retweet and like, and you can DM them all you want. Yeah. Um, but fans, you know, so so this some some interview came out, Demetrius Davis. It was it was an Auburn two four seven site where you could in my opinion, you could tell they were just trying to work him and get him to say something positive about Auburn. And, and he wound up at some point in the interview saying something like, uh, you know, I, I might take one or two or three official visits. No, he's not. Who knows what they went through to get him to say I'm that. I'm telling you right now, he's not going to take a single official visit. <laughs> well, for, for, for other reasons. So, so naturally, somebody came on the recruiting board and said, do we need to worry about losing him? And I said, listen, if you're worried about losing him, I got, I got some advice for you. If you don't have a Twitter account, get one. Once you have a Twitter account, go follow him. Like and retweet everything that kid tweets. <laughs> Let him know you love him and you want him in Blacksburg. And I've never gone there as, mm-hmm. as, as, a, as a journalist or a follower of the team. I don't really think of myself as a journalist. But, but as somebody who has to cover the team, I rarely go there and say those sorts of things. But it's just the truth. Right. Here's where you can have a positive impact. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, if you have something negative to say, shut up. Right. Get out of the way. 
there, there's one or two people on Twitter. I look at them. And I'm like, man, I, I think those people are worse for Virginia Tech's program than Mac Brown. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's really awful stuff. Yeah, you know, and 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 in this, what is going on right now is right up Bo Davidson's at Davidson Valley, man. That guy's a machine. Yeah, he is. Um, and uh, is Virginia Tech doing it better than any other school? Oh, I don't know. Probably not. That's hard to say. I don't follow. I don't follow anybody else. I just know that I'm impressed <laughs> with what I see from yeah. Virginia Tech. They've they've handled the transition well. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. And so what I said about Demetrius Davis really applies to anybody tech's recruiting that you know that Virginia Tech is recruiting. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they'll say things like, can you get me up to 7K followers? Well, if if, if you're a guy who doesn't want to really follow recruits on Twitter, uh, go follow them and then mute them if you don't want them. To <laughs> right, them. right. You know, yeah, just just you can mute them. Yeah, you, you you can pile up 25, 30, 40,000. I'd like to see my mute list at this point. I bet it's pretty big. Yeah, um I've there's I bet I have more tech fans on it than I do recruits. No doubt. No doubt. Uh what else did I want? I knew there was something else I wanted to say about that. Um, um there's one thing about recruiting I will say is that by signing such a small class last year, you know, you knew it was going to be a small class the whole time. Yeah. Virginia Tech put a lot of effort into the 2021 class from a very early stage. Well, and one of the things that got said about what John Yetzi's appearance on the Sons of Saturday podcast, um, and and you can correct me if I say any of this wrong, uh, when Chuck Cantor was running the recruiting operation at Virginia Tech, uh, John said that Chuck kept everything close to the vest and kind of hogged all the information for himself. Yeah. And when he left and went to Florida, you know, he basically took his computer with all the stuff on it, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and, and everybody he left behind was like, oh, oh crap, oh, do we, what do we have? And, yeah, it's like making all your pharmaceuticals in China. <laughs> and, and suddenly 80% of your supply line is cut off. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, how big of a factor was that? I don't know. But right. but it's one of the things that probably contributed to that 2020 class. It's, yeah, that certainly did not help, did it? So one of the things I see right now in looking at Virginia Tech recruiting is they're up to six commits, and um, they're ranked about 20th in the country in the 24-7 composite rankings. This, to me, is looking like a typical Virginia Tech recruiting class. I think your typical Virginia Tech recruiting class ranks around 25th in the country. Yeah. It's always been that way, except for last year. There, well, you, except 2001 and last year. Yes, 2001 was, yeah. was off the charts good. Yeah. Um, and obviously Beamer's last year when his retirement was in question. Yeah. That yeah, was, and that was never like going to be a good year. 45th in the country right, or something right. like that. Yeah. Um, so all the schools that are ranked around him right now have the same number of commits, five, six commits. So there's really only been three things throughout the years that have dramatically changed Virginia Tech recruiting. The 2001 class was borderline top 10 with Kevin Jones and all that. And Brian Randall. Well, that was the first full. D'Angelo Hall. Yep. That was the first full class after the the national championship game appearance. So that's the one thing that's effective recruiting positively that's changed the rankings from a positive standpoint. The only two things that have changed the rankings from a negative standpoint were Frank Beamer retiring and Bud Foster retiring. It was in those two years, at least. Yeah, about I mean, I mean, last year's class would have ranked lower anyway because it was so smaller, uh, so so much smaller. And what you said about Can- uh, Chuck Canner was absolutely true. But Foster's retirement had a huge part to play in that as well. Yeah. Huge. So the, those are the three things I can think of that have changed Virginia Tech's recruiting rankings over the last two decades. Yeah. Other than that, they've been about 25th. I don't know what you are. Pretty much, yeah. 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 Uh, 
Oh man, I totally lost my train of thought. Oh, so um, I have said in the past in conversations between me and you, I don't know if I put this in articles, uh, where Virginia Tech is is really going to succeed is is with a sprinkling of four star guys, um, good three star guys that you develop, keeping yeah. keeping the roster intact, and and adding those few really good players. And to me, in this class, Demetrius Davis is that guy. Yeah, he may not have been that guy twenty years ago because he's like five ten. You yeah. know and. Well, I don't know. Michael Vick was about 5'10". Well, you know, and Davis is actually a pretty darn good passer. It's yeah, not he like is. he's just a runner. Well, he's know? a very advanced passer. Uh, particularly Te- Texas high school football. Well, particularly with uh, Virginia Tech's system, the RPOs yeah. and everything like that. Yep. He seems to be pretty prolific at those at the high school level. And, and the college game and even the pro game today is is set up more in a way that, that guys who are not physically large human beings can be successful because the fields are spread. What they said that. Actually, I guess it was at ACC Media Day last year where they were asking him about quarterbacks. And he's like, one of the things I like about football these days is, you know, your quarterback, it's not necessarily 6'4", 225. He might be. He might be 6'6", 250. He might be 5'11", 190 and still be a lottery pick, right? Uh, That's how the game has changed. And so Fuente, he said he enjoys the, the fact that your quarterback can come from – they can be a lot different now. Yeah. And it's it's not all cookie cutter to a certain extent. And, and yeah, so I look at Demetrius Davis, and, yeah, I mean, the guy's 5'10 or 5'11 or whatever it is, and it doesn't bother me at all, honestly. He has. You know, I, I, you know me, I've been at this a long time, and I don't like to hype up individual recruits, but he's that guy that has the potential to be a program changer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Absolutely, and the, the you know like the height doesn't bother me. Like, all right, so Michael Vick was listed at six one. Tyrod Taylor was listed at six one. I mean, if you stand them right next to each other, Tyrod's two inches taller than Mike. I mean, Mike was five eleven. Yeah. I mean, uh, so Demetrius Davis five eleven. Fine, let's roll. Same height as the best quarterback Tech has ever had. Yeah, he's gonna be a good one. So, so let's get some love to uh, Tyus Martin, uh, three star defensive tackle out of Jacksonville, Arkansas, rated the number. Five player in the state of Arkansas by 24-7's in-house rankings. Mm-hmm. Rated the number one player in Arkansas by rivals. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he, he's up there. He's yeah. he's, an, he's an upper three-star, I would say. Yes. Uh, uh, he's a tiny little guy, 6'3", 318. <laughs> 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 yeah, uh, Ben Hooker's got his work cut out for him, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, Trying yeah. to get this guy big enough. <laughs> uh, so, uh, uh, Martin has never been to campus. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So they recruited him remotely. And um, he attributed Tap and Tierlink, and of course Bo Davidson. He even threw Bo Davidson's name in there. But but what caught my um, and this gets back to the Twitter thing. What caught my eye when I read Jason Stame's interview with him was he said uh, he said something about committing, even though he'd never been there. And he said he said that was a big decision. It's eleven hours from where I live. Mm-hmm. And and getting back to the Twitter thing, here's a kid who's taking. That's a big step. That's a long way away from home. And instead of making this decision in a vacuum, he can make it. And then on Twitter, he said something like, uh, uh, sometimes you just got to be different. Glad to be a Hokie. Mm-hmm. And he gets a huge number of retweets and likes and things like that. So it, it, it helps reinforce his decision to commit that far away from home. 
Yeah. You know, it, uh, you, you give the guy some love and he feels better about it in case doesn't sound like he was having second thoughts to me. He was really swung by Tierlink and Tap. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, I, th- I thought that was a great thing that the fans could do. And you're talking to a kid who's only got about 1,500 Twitter followers. And he, that tweet got almost that many likes. Right. You know, so that that's a, that's a very, uh, the analytics on that tweet were through the roof for a guy that doesn't have six, eight, ten thousand followers. Yeah. I thought it was a solid pickup. I think he's he's a guy that could uh, potentially play early, but just because of his size. Not that I want him to. I want everybody to redshirt. Um, yeah. But I expect everybody's going to redshirt now. For whether you want of to years. or not, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, he's the first recruit I think I've seen, or at least the first commit specifically. Say talk about tap and Terrell yeah. NFL. Yep. He's NFL. Yes. He didn't yes. say, I like these guys. He said they, they've coached and played in the NFL. Yeah. And as far as distance and everything like that, uh, you know, like we say, you know, the world's smaller these yeah. days. And parents seeing you play used to be a big deal when not every game was on television. Yeah. Now every single game is on television. And, and you can FaceTime your kid now. You can FaceTime your kid if you really want to see your kid. Um, you know, I mean, you're not going to see him anyway on game day, game day weekend. You can see him after the game. Yeah. That's it. And if you really want to watch them play, you can watch them play probably better on television. Now, they get good seats behind the Virginia Tech bench and everything like that. Yeah. But but it just it doesn't matter as much. It doesn't matter as much. Um, so I try to picture, put myself in the shoes of a recruit, and which is hard because I'm 37. But... As far but you're as, young at heart. Yeah, right. I'm still 18. <laughs> <laughs> but but from a distance standpoint, like, I had a really good time at Notre Dame this year when I went up there. Like, Notre Dame would be one of the top schools on my list now. I don't care how far away it is. Right. Right. Oh, that was an easy flight. Um, if I couldn't fly it. I liked it so much I'd be willing to drive it. It's not that big of a deal. It's not the worst drive in the world. It's not the worst drive in the world. And quite frankly, you're only doing it a couple times a year anyway as a football player. You're doing it for Christmas, and then you're probably going home once in the summer, and that's it. Other than that, you're there. So it's just not something that I think is a big deal anymore. So let's uh, let's talk about the film a little bit. Uh, He said in his interview that – Tech can see him as a nose, as a true nose lining up over the center, or or a three gap guy. Is that the gap? Or three between? three technique. Three uh, technique. Yeah, uh, I think three technique is the the gap between the guard and guard and the center. Tack, guard guard and tackle. Um, now, now you watch his film, and it's it's pretty much exclusively nose three well, man line. Well, I mean, Tech plays left and right defensive tackles now. Yeah. Right, they used to have a nose and a tackle, so they had. A guy over the center, or in the gap between the guard and the center, all the time. And then they had a guy playing the, the, the other technique all the time. Well, now they do left and right defensive tackles, so both players have to know both techniques. Because before it was like, it was basically a strong side, weak side thing. But now it's left side, so you got to know both these days. And the past players just had to know one. Yeah. Like Carlton Powell would have only had to know one of those, I, yeah. I think. Yeah. It's been it's been so long; it's hard to remember. Um, so yeah, I don't know what Justin Hamilton's going to do. If if Justin Hamilton goes back to something more like the old Tech scheme, then he's not going to do left and right def- defensive tackles anymore. Then he 
it's more likely that he would have one guy focus on that nose and then the other guy focus on the tackle position. Uh, in which case, he would probably be a nose. And not to but, mention if you want to go with a three-man line. You know, it, it helps to have a guy who can play play right, nose, play right, right up on the right. center. Um, and by three-man line, we don't necessarily mean a three-four because these days defensive ends stand up. Sometimes yeah. their hands is on the ground. Defenses are so hybrid these days, it's it's really hard to distinguish some of them. Yeah. All right. So let's see. I did want to toss this out there. Um, uh, I, For reasons I, I can't recall, I wandered into 24-7's uh, transfer portal page for Virginia Tech. So let's do an update on that. Um, I mean, you already know who's coming in. Uh, Blackshear and, and Herbert are coming in, and, and I might leave, be leaving somebody else out. Uh, Jacoby Pinckney last week uh, um, committed. I get to use do you use the word committed with the transfer portal. Yeah, committed to Appalachian State. So Pinckney's going to wind up at Appalachian State, and he's from South Carolina, right? He is. So it's a little little closer to his home state. Uh, we already know Damon Hazelton to Missouri. That happened pretty quickly. Uh, offensive lineman John Harris to Mercer. Joe Kane to Elon. Louis Mahota to St. Francis, PA. He was a non-scholarship player. Right. And Robert Porsche to NCANT, North Carolina a t Isn't that where his dad played? I have no idea. <laughs> I know his dad played for the Detroit Lions. That's Some, all I know. Somebody want to look that up <laughs> out of curiosity? Guys who have not landed anywhere yet, who are, who are leaving Virginia Tech and haven't landed anywhere yet. Caleb Stewart, Phil Patterson, Hezekiah Grimsley, Haushan Gaines, Nathan Proctor, and Khalil Ladler. And honestly, we don't know how many of those guys are going to continue to play football. To be fair, Proc- Proctor went to JUCO this past year. Did he? Yes. Oh, okay. Thank you. Um, um, Gaines probably won't play again. Grimsley so. may not play again. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, so that's uh, that's neither here nor there. It's just something I wanted to throw in yeah. there. Um, so did we find out about uh, where Porsche's dad went to college yet? South Carolina State. South Carolina State. State. North Carolina A&T. Same State. thing. HBCU. Yep. Um, all right, so Malcolm, did we get any questions or is everybody sleepy? All right, make sure they can hear you through the mic. So uh, how many minutes are we at right now? Hour and 14. Hour 14. So we kind of need to be quick about this, so have at it. All right, we'll start with a question. Nick Brown's actually here, so we'll start with a question from his dad, Jeff. <laughs> which VTQB benefits the most and which is hurt the most if there's no football in 2020, 2021? Benefit for sure. Benefit the most. Benefits if, there, if there's no football. If there's no football, benefits end in hooker. Uh, I mean, when you have no new data, you go with the status quo, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Hendon Hooker, you know what you've got in Hendon Hooker. Yeah. You don't know what you have in Quincy Patterson or Braxton Burmeister at, at this point. Those guys needed practice reps to continue to develop, Burmeister in particular, to learn the system. So all things else, if everything stays the same, then I would say Hooker benefits the most. Do you think it hurts Patterson the most? Uh, either him or Burmeister. You can make an argument for either one because Patterson's at least been in the system. Yeah, Burmeister was here for a couple weeks running the offense. But you know he was. Then he went scout team. Then he went scout team. Yeah. Right. So yes, he's had exposure to it, but not nearly the exposure you would have during a spring practice. Yeah. So it, without question, it benefits Hooker the most. You can make an argument for the other two guys. Yeah, it hurts everybody's development, but it helps Hooker because it it keeps him entrenched as the the starter. Yes. Yeah. All right. And I I think he was 
90% going to be the starter anyway. I'm not, not saying that he wasn't going to be the starter, but I think the likelihood of, that he gets beaten out uh, is reduced. I'll yeah, put it that yeah. way. All right. Thanks for the question. All right. From Matthew Hart, should the fans' outlook of recruiting be more focused on the overall class strength instead of in-state recruiting? Uh, Tech is located in Virginia's panhandle, so we're much closer to some of these Kentucky and North Carolina players than players in the 757. I I definitely think that's true. You know, Virginia is one of those states where, let's face it, you go west out of Blacksburg 10 minutes, it's more like the state of West Virginia than it is the rest of Virginia. Yeah. Um, Richmond, the 757, Nova, all that stuff. That's like a different world from where Virginia Tech is located. It's like this part of the state is so different than the rest of the state. Like Southern California is different than Northern California. Oh, yeah. Right? right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't really care. Uh, you know, I'm going back and watching the 1995 season. It's not like even in Tech's glory days, it's not like Tech didn't have any good players from out of state. I mean, Lauren Johnson makes the game-ending pass deflection against Miami. Well, guess what? He was from Florida. Florida. The two best defensive players on the field that day were probably George Del Rico and J.C. Price, and they were from Maryland. And William, I could not have told you that if you'd asked me where they were from. Dwayne Thomas was from Florida, and he rushed for 150 yards on Miami that day. Yeah. Um, Jim Druckenmiller Druck was from Pennsylvania. He was a first-round pick. Via Fork Union. Right. Um, yeah. They, so, they used to get a lot of offensive linemen from, like, New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Oh, yo, absolutely. Sort of absolutely. Um, yeah. Derek Smith was a really good lineman back in the day. I think he was from West Virginia. So, uh, State of Virginia recruiting was more important for that time period than it is now, Yeah, I, I, in my opinion. I, I the, the area I'm really starting to hate losing out on is Northern Virginia. Correct. I, uh, I would agree with and, that. And what Penn State does there, mm-hmm. and, and probably yeah. Maryland now. I, I honestly don't pay a whole lot of attention no, to so it. No, it's, it's interesting – I was thinking about this the other day. Everybody talks about Virginia Tech in the 757. Uh, Penn State should have trouble in the 757 right now, too. Um, Gosh, who was that quarterback from Virginia who went to Vanderbilt when James Franklin was there? Oh. Thurgood? Thurgood. Wow. LaFonte Thurgood. We call that a Paduma. Yeah. Points to you if you know what that means. (laughs) (laughs) Good call. Um, But Thurgood. I know somebody who's related to him told me this story several years ago so, in a bar. So take All right, it, speak take of, it, we, we want to be sure we can hear this. T- take it for what it's worth. But, uh, <laughs> you know, James Franklin was – Thurgood was committed to Virginia Tech, right, as a quarterback. And then on signing day, he flipped to Vanderbilt. When James Franklin was coaching. When James him. Franklin was coaching Vanderbilt, uh, promised he's going to play quarterback and everything like that, blah, blah, blah. And I remember this was – Vandy was one of the first teams to do this. Like, they – they had a camera in the war room on signing day. I remember Franklin doing like that when, when it came across that Thurgood had got his LOI was in and everything mm-hmm. like that, and he had flipped. And uh, so he shows up, and immediately, you know, they flip, they move him to running back. Running back. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that family is not in the James Franklin camp. And last I saw, Thurgood is doing some – coaching out there in the seven on seven ranks and things like that so if if that's accurate if that's how he feels then james franklin's not getting any of his players you will love that story is jim cavanaugh oh yeah <laughs> if cavanaugh knew quit knew thurgood lafonte thurgood that was his first name yes. he, he would have told him uh 
Oh, you know, they're telling me they're going to put you a quarterback. You're going to get down there, and they're going to move you. Yeah, oh, that story Cav told about uh, when this was when Cav was at UNC. He was recruiting against Penn State, old Penn State, Paterno's Penn State. And he, would, he didn't tell us who the recruit was, but he was a really good player. Might have even gone to the NFL at some point. And Cav told us this story, but he also told it on Tech Talk Live one mm-hmm. time. So he was telling this kid, look, we want you as a tailback at North Carolina. If you go to Penn State, they are going to move you to fullback within your first year. I promise you. That's absolutely what they do to every single player with your size and your build. You will be a fullback. Oh, but but Coach Paterno says, Coach Paterno promises. Coach Paterno says there's no way I'm going to move to fullback. You know, that, 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 that's everything. You know, he's trying to talk to the mom, too, and she's like, oh, but Coach Paterno has assured me. that Okay, sure. He's your grandfather. Your right, dad. right. So this guy goes to Penn State. <laughs> and uh, lo and behold, within a couple of weeks of being in practice, gets moved to fullback. Yeah. Right? And <laughs> Kavanaugh <laughs> writes him a letter. <laughs> says, Dear so and so, couldn't help but notice that you got moved to fullback this past week. I read it in the local newspaper, blah, blah, blah. And we're in badly, bad need of tailbacks down here at the University of North Carolina. Uh, you know, so um, I don't know how he ended the letter, but that's how he started it. <laughs> Jim, Jim Cavanaugh loves a good "I told you so." Oh yeah, you know, he he is not above saying "I told you so." Good for him, you know. And and, and if you could have a uh, man, that guy was that guy was a top notch recruiter. If you could have a staff of guys like that when it came to recruiting, you would hit it out of the park. Well, remember uh, how good Carolina? Remember that North Carolina team that thrashed Tech in the Gator Bowl? Yeah, that was partly built by Jim Cavanaugh, who who, who was then coaching at Virginia Tech. A couple of years later. By then, yes. Right, right. That's right. So, Mac Brown fired Jim Cavanaugh. Big mistake. Big mistake. Like, like if Mac Brown like, had... Like Julia Robertson, pretty women. Big if, mistake. If Mac Brown hadn't fired Jim Cavanaugh, what would have happened with Virginia Tech's program? Yeah, we should dedicate a whole uh, podcast to the topic of Jim, <laughs> Jim Cavanaugh's influence on Virginia Tech football. I think the, the, that... The first time Jim... First time for the Virginia Tech coaching staff... Ever heard of Michael Vick was when Jim Cavanaugh, after they hired him at a staff meeting, said, I want you guys to watch film on this guy. Yeah. I would like us to offer him. Because Cav found him when he was coaching for North Carolina when Vick was a freshman. Yeah. So he had been building a relationship with Vick since he was a freshman. I don't know that if Mac Brown doesn't fire Jim Cavanaugh, I don't think Virginia Tech ever plays for the national championship. Thank you, Mac Brown. You know, I I, I think that Probably the two – well, you know, Phil O'Mation certainly was influential, but I think the two most influential coaches other than Frank Beamer in Virginia Tech football are Jim Cavanaugh and Bud Foster. No question. Yeah. yeah. we got we got to dedicate a podcast to that. All right, we we'll should. take one more, Malcolm. All right, from Joseph Kennedy. If this coming season is canceled with all of the players being granted – or will all of the players be granted an extra year of eligibility? Woof. <laughs> if so, how does this affect the 2021 class – as well as the number of scholarships available. For I yeah. don't know. Yeah, we, we don't know. And that's not going to be decided for months and months, in my opinion. My brain I, is not that large. I don't – the NCAA made a – again, yet again, they succumb to public opinion. Grant everyone an extra year of eligibility because it's the right thing to do. Yes, it's the right thing to do. It's not the right thing to do for every school from a financial standpoint. Right. Like, like how the heck is JMU supposed to afford that? No. Right. Really, anybody. Anybody. Any of those schools that live off of student fees and right, contributions right, right. from the university. And even some Power 5 schools can afford it more than others. So mm-hmm. they left it in the hands of the schools of what to do. 
which means some schools are going to gain a competitive advantage over others. Some schools can't do it, and others can't. Mm. Um, they can't do that when it comes to football. They absolutely cannot do that when it comes to football. Like, how can you, how can you possibly do that when it comes to football? Like, what if you say, okay, yeah, everybody's welcome back. Oh, and yeah, you can still sign twenty-five players in this class. The, so, so Virginia Tech needs to sign a full recruiting class this year, right? So, what if they sign a full recruiting class and then everybody's back? All of a sudden, you got one hundred ten scholarship players. I mean, how much money does that cost? Like, Tech couldn't afford that. Other schools could, so Tech would have to make decisions on who who they cut, so to speak, and who mm. they don't. Um, um, really, the larger question is, what are you going to do? Are you going to grant an extra year of scholarships for every single fall athlete? And then when it happens in the winter, every single winter, are you basically going to wind up telling an entire year's worth of college athletes, you can come back next year and have a scholarship if you want it? And, you know, I, honestly, man, I think it's to be tough luck. I, I think they were, I thought they needed to make the decision for the spring sport athletes, I guess, because those, those kids. And you didn't know what how things were going to play out you, you didn't quite know how things were going to play out and you got those kids have to know whether okay i have a job offer do i need to go accept this job offer yeah right right, right now i think i'd accept any job offer that came my way if i'm a student if yeah. i'm if i'm a senior yeah good right? point um because you don't you don't know what 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 the future holds but yeah there there's too much unknown there um I have no idea what's going to. There's certain things I figured out is is I, as things have gone along. Like I didn't, I didn't completely grasp the whole financial aspects of it, or the whole input output as far as number of student athletes. If yeah. there's if there's no output, how can you have an input and have that not affect things financially? Yeah, I mean, huge. I mean. You might not make any money this year, yet you're supposed to have more student athletes. So, so I'm actually thinking about this in my own home. My daughter has been accepted to Virginia Tech for next year. Nick Brown has been accepted to Virginia Tech for next year. What if Virginia Tech comes out in the fall and says, hey, everything's online? I'm not sure I want to send my freshman daughter into an online learning experience that's going to cost couple but 10 15 20 25,000 they're gonna lower tuition any at all i mean there won't be a room and board i assume. hey honey if you're gonna take them online just go to new river community college for a year right you know right and and this, these ramifications are going to be huge and you know they're thinking about this it's not just an athletics issue it's a university-wide issue right, right, across right. the entire so, country so if you're sitting there thinking ah oh, well the virginia tech athletic department can handle it because they can just get a loan from Virginia Tech, a cheap interest, free or low interest loan or something like that, like they did with the baseball stadium, the indoor track. Yeah. Well, Tim Sands has got problems of his own right now. What if they turn to 6,000 freshman students and say, we're going online, and two or 3,000 of them say, I'm not doing that. I'll wait until next year. Boom. Your freshman class is gutted. Right. And this is going to happen all across the country. So this is a big issue they got to figure out. Right. All right. Thank you. I think we're up to an hour and a half. Okay. And I'm going to get the same comment I always get. You need to take that podcast and cut it up into smaller segments and put it on YouTube. And you're not wrong, but, you know, <laughs> the, the labor just isn't there. So I'll, I'll do my best to index stuff when we, when we toss it up on YouTube. Uh, so thanks to everybody who asked questions on Facebook Live and hung with us this long. I uh, really appreciate it. And no promises about when the next one's going to be, <laughs> you know. 
hopefully some interesting you stuff have noticed that we have maintained proper social distancing standards yes here. i think that table's five feet long so there's six feet between yep. us and malcolm's way over on the other side of the room yep. so everybody thanks for watching and listening and we will see you next time on the tsl podcast mm-hmm.